means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are talking about Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. You guessed it, more alliteration. <laughs> that laugh should indicate that Elizabeth is back with us. Hey everyone. <laughs> so, the the title of the chapter kind of gives it away. It's a lot of Percy <laughs> and a lot of Sirius. <laughs> but... In between that, we get a meeting of Harry and Cho in the Owlery. We get a daily profit delivery. We get some Quidditch first full team practice moments. Hmm. We get uh, a letter from Percy specifically that uh, I think both of us had a lot to kind of dive into on that. And a lot of avoiding homework and then complaining about doing homework. You're such a teacher. Just do your stupid homework. Like, oh my God. Such a teacher. <laughs> You're right. It's still such a teacher. <laughs> and then uh, we get Sirius kind of popping in to the common room. So mm -hmm. uh, lots to talk about. But I think I wanted to start off with Harry finally understanding how difficult it was for Ron and Hermione to write to him over the summer. Yeah. Because he gets up early in the morning, which again, I don't know how you do without an alarm clock, but that's beside the point. I'm like, after a full week of school where he's been super, super stressed and he's been having late night detentions literally every single night, I am not going to be getting up before noon yeah. on a Saturday. Yeah. I don't care what letters <laughs> I got to write. I'm not, it's not happening. It, it just gives me the impression that he's obviously an, a morning person because the first like light beams that come into his room he's like i'm awake okay. <laughs> and let's go no i couldn't do it uh but he uses his time to try to formulate a letter to Sirius, and he's realizing that he has to do it in some sort of coded message and i do like how he takes a step back and tries to read this from a different point of view and be like can i discern anything if i didn't already know you mean harry's getting smarter oh i'm not gonna jump <laughs> the gun here <laughs> this particular moment was a smart one on his part. And I think he wrote a very good letter. I particularly enjoyed the comment that Umbridge is nearly as nice as your mom. <laughs> Our large friend. Mm -hmm. Where's he <laughs> like, at? We're missing him. Yeah. So it was um, really, it, I mean, it, it really was well done. Like, I don't think people would really know who he's writing to or what he's writing about if they just happened to see it. Right. Uh, so, to send this letter, he has to make his way to the Owlery, and on his way to the Owlery, <laughs> a couple things happen. <laughs> I think we had uh, slightly different notes. Uh, you had the note on Peeves, because Peeves gets a mention. Yeah, Peeves wants to drop the bust of, I'm going to butcher this name, Paracelius? Maybe that's it? But he's the father of toxicology on somebody's head, and nearly had the snick is like hmm yeah p 
peeves he's up to as usual i'll so go get boring. the bloody baron i'll we'll go take do care. it go a different way so he's like yeah all right long way to the owlery my note <laughs> is on mrs norris in this whole thing <laughs> because harry runs into mrs norris and she looks at him and then runs off and harry's like i'm not even doing anything <laughs> like i'm allowed to be here <laughs> She's like, student out of bed this early? How dare you? Yeah. It's like, this is odd for a Saturday. <laughs> so we get Harry immediately sending his note via Hedwig, which mm -hmm. is important. And then we get Cho entering the Owlery to send a last minute gift to her mother, whose birthday. So you get an interaction between Cho and Harry. And then it gets interrupted by Filch coming in. Well, let's not like run past the moment between Harry and Cho because it's so him being like, <gasps> Cho's here. Now, what the heck do I say to her? He wants to talk about the weather. He's and then he's like, I'm talking about the weather. <laughs> well, she comes out and starts talking about Quidditch. Yeah. Which is a natural link between the two of them, you would think. Yes, very much so. And I mean, that helped. But she also mentioned a little bit about Cedric. And he was just like having these little thoughts of like, oh, what if I dramatically show her on accident, but on purpose, the little scar on my hand about must not telling lies. So she knows how brave I was with Umbridge. She wouldn't see through that at all. Well, she does come out and say that the whole school knows about that interaction. And mm -hmm. she thought he was brave for standing up and telling the truth to a teacher, mm -hmm. especially one that's seemingly universally disliked within a week she hasn't even yeah. been here for like oh my gosh yeah my big show harry moment is actually after or during i guess filch's interruption mm. um, because he comes and thinks harry's actually sending off for an order of dung bombs Cho stands up and and defends him and is like well one he's already sent the letter two he, that's whatever it's not that <laughs> but harry's left with this like how did filch know it was like dung bomb specifically because he said someone told him about harry trying to send dung bombs yeah someone tipped him off and the inference here is that mrs norris told filch well i don't know if i would go right to mrs norris she's the one that spotted him and then ran off to presumably get filch true but I was taking it more as like maybe like Filch was told by someone to keep an eye on Harry because he seems to be very troublesome and they've heard rumors of stuff. So then he told Mrs. Norris, like, if you see Potter, let me know. And then she just like ran back and was like, meow. And it's like, that's the Harry's up sign. <laughs> I don't know. I We can talk a little bit more about it in the spoilers mm -hmm. I, but and i know we've talked a little bit about mrs norris on the podcast probably going back to chamber of secrets when she was petrified well because their relationship is just so close it's an interesting one yeah and you know there there's some stuff to talk to um you know that kind of topic about but we'll continue on harry ends up meeting back with ron and hermione for breakfast and ron notes that he is particularly cheerful we get a daily profit delivery mm-hmm and which is not bearing the best of news this time no especially well you get hermione in a rare lack of poise yelling out the name sirius <laughs> which <laughs> ends up making harry jump across the table 
and rip half of the Daily Prophet trying to see what the article was. Okay, going to that point with them and their whole, like, saying thing, names of things, right? They say Sirius's name a lot. They say the Order a lot. And then they shush each other every time they say Order. And then they're like, Order the Phoenix. And it's like, oh, you... Children, this is why they didn't want to tell you things. You are terrible at remembering that people can hear you. I will give Hermione a little slack on yelling Sirius, because that could be anything. Like, oh, Sirius Black. News about Sirius Black. True. Okay. But then Ron almost says Order of the Phoenix, I think, twice. Yeah. And it's that's like, well, dude, what are you doing? But then they go into snuffles, too. And it's like, okay, you were just talking about Sirius, and now you're saying another S name. Now you're what almost giving away the nickname. What a complicated yeah, code. I know. <laughs> uh, they're kids mm-hmm. who are admittedly around other kids, only a few of which are probably wise enough to catch on <laughs> if they're even paying attention and not caught up in their own stuff. I mean, it is like food. Well, that's number one. <laughs> that is, of course, number one. Anyway, uh, so what do we learn? We learn that Sirius is... Uh, reported to be hiding in London, Mm -hmm. which would obviously set off some alarm bells across the wizarding world uh, because he is still perceived as quite a threat. And alarm bells for Harry and Hermione because they know Malfoy made that comment on the train, which Ron was still oblivious to. So I don't know if they just forgot to tell him about it or what. You can safely assume that Lucius is the one with this tip. Yeah. Um, Easily. Yeah. But then we also get news of trespass at the ministry. Mm-hmm. And we find out that Sturgis Podmore, who, if you remember back to uh, Harry leaving the Dursley house, Sturgis was part of that part of that crew. Sturgis Podmore charged with trespass and attempted robbery. And he was trying to break into a high security door mm-hmm. uh, deep within the ministry. And he was arrested by watch wizard Eric Munch. <laughs> Look at Eric doing his job. Eric putting in work. <laughs> we do know that Sturgis did not defend himself at his hearing and thus was sentenced to six months in Azkaban. Yeah, Ron had a theory about it, which I thought was interesting. I mean, he said how maybe the ministry set him up to attempt to trespass and that allowed them the chance to arrest him and question him and whatever. And Harry said that's probably, or he thought at least that it was probably far-fetched. But Hermione was like, you know what? That actually might be a possibility. Which just shows, like, how uncertain times they're living in right now. Because if conspiracy theories sound reasonable, there's a problem going on. Well, to be truthful, I don't think it's that far-fetched of a conspiracy theory at this point, mm-hmm. given their insider info. Yeah. So I, th- I think I disagree with Harry in that it's far-fetched. Is it? Likely, no. Is it desperate? But it's not far fetched. Very desperate. So I'm, I'm kind of more with Hermione. Is like, no, it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting that he had trespassed and attempted robbery, and he only got six months in Azkaban when he didn't mount a defense of any kind. I'm a little surprised that it's that know, light of a sentence. I mean, we've had talks before about how there should be more than one wizard prison, and. That does make me wonder how they determine what a sentence should consist of. I mean, attempted, you you tried, but you didn't succeed. They also didn't go no. into much details about 
where he was attempting to break into. I mean, just a high on, security area. Yeah, I mean, like depending on the floor and the ministry and what door it is that you're trying to open, that could get you into a whole different world of anything. So maybe that's why. Well, continuing to move on, unless you have more Sirtis Podmore. No, I'm just glad we saw Eric. No, he's still employed. <laughs> still doing his thing. <laughs> Checking all the wands. <laughs> and uh, so to Elizabeth's dismay, Ron and, her, uh, and Harry decided to shove off homework yet again. I'm 100% with Hermione on this. Just, just do it. Like you're complaining about it. If you just sit down and do it, it won't take you that long. They decided to put it off uh, to go practice Quidditch before practicing Quidditch. So they decided to take advantage of the nice Saturday uh, weather and go out and get a little pre-practice in. Which, okay, you are an athletic person. Mm-hmm. It is literally your job to deal with athletics. Yep. Athletics. Yep. So for someone who is very, very, very non-athletic, and that's putting it kindly, doesn't, like, isn't practice before practice a bad idea? Like, wouldn't that risk more chances of injury well when you're active yeah i mean your risk of injury always goes up but i think in this case it's wise to do it uh because you have harry is obviously a seasoned quidditch professional okay and ron is not (laughs) uh not that he hasn't played quidditch because he's obviously played with his brothers before Mm -hmm. but now he's playing for real and in a competitive setting well, I know part of it is like it. He wants it to calm his nerves and everything, but I would I would imagine that having all this extra practice would then make him be tired for practice and then not do as well. Mm, no, I think especially for his position of keeper, mm. the more you do it, the better you get at it. Okay. So I think repetition would only help him. Granted, mm. Harry's not exactly the best chaser in the world. True. But here's the here's the thing, and this is what we get into, because obviously it's just Harry and Ron, and that's a comfortable setting. Right. Ron knows that Harry's a safe spot. You know, he's a safe place. He's not going to make fun of him for missing, you know, one or two or whatever. It's constructive criticisms and feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That would be like me going golfing, playing with a buddy of mine, and we're allowed to make mistakes because it's a safe space. Right. Well, then you get a crowd, and a crowd changes everything, <laughs> and we see that a little bit. We don't get the big Quidditch crowd like match day, but we get uh, the Slytherin Quidditch team coming to watch the actual official practice that takes place. Plus some extra Slytherins, too, which I just like, okay, I do not understand wanting to give up your Saturday morning, let alone getting up. I suppose that now practice is in the afternoon. So giving up your sa- any as- aspect of your Saturday to go watch your enemies just practice. Like you're not even looking for some insight into their their tactics. Oh, I disagree with I disagree with that. But it's their first practice. Do they even have tactics yet? They want to see the new keeper. Number one, they want to see the new keeper. Number two, yes, they want to see Angelina Johnson as the captain and see what her tactics might be. They want to see what the lineup is. They know Harry, but so they, they yes, they do want to see tactics. Number two, uh, presumably, most of them on the Quidditch team like Quidditch. Most of the students might like 
Quidditch. They might actually just want to see it. I, you just said I work in athletics. True. When I'm off work, <laughs> what do I still watch in my downtime? <laughs> athletics. <laughs> so, okay, so. this is very much me not really caring much about sports at all thing then because I just cannot comprehend giving up a nice Saturday to just go sit at a stadium and watch practice, not even game, a practice, and just taunt them the entire time like have more have something better to do with your life during the practice we have an interesting moment where they haven't even gotten into the practice they're just in warm-ups passing around a quaffle yeah and it doesn't go great ron hurls the quaffle goes through katie bell's hands and ends up smoking her in the face mm-hmm. and she ends up having a bloody nose mm-hmm. to which fred rushes over and is like no i could fix this i got this and gives her something from his pocket. Practice continues, and Katie's bleeding only gets significantly worse, not better, to the point where her robes are like drenched in blood. Yeah. And Fred's like, oh no. <laughs> I'm just imagining like you being the athletic trainer for the, their practices and being like, you idiots, why did you do this? Why did you yeah. not come to me? Okay. Like, Madame Pomfrey is a saint for dealing with her stupidity. Yeah. So you mentioned I was an ath- I'm an athletic trainer. So my profession is literally dealing with injuries from sports. Yeah. So I do deal with this. And on the one hand, I love what Fred was trying to do because if you gave me a little tablet that can stop a nosebleed instantly, I'm doing that. <laughs> However, that does not exist. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, well, especially it seems like they haven't invented it yet. They just have the one side of it. Well, I think they have started messing around with... They just haven't perfected it yet. I think, that, I think he tried. I think he tried to give the cure for the nosebleed nougat, except he gave, gave the, the wrong tablet. Of it. And, and he gave... Well, it isn't even the nosebleed nougat. It's a blood blister pod. Yeah. So... Sounds lovely. It sounds so horrendously bad. <laughs> And here's my athletic training take on it, if you really want the athletic training take, is that can go horribly, horribly wrong. Like, he could have really done very significant damage to Katie Bell Mm -hmm. and put her in very significant danger. And I get... I mean, they were carrying her away towards the hospital wing. She looked so pale and, like, she couldn't even stand up by herself. I get what they're doing is groundbreaking work. Mm -hmm. But to Hermione's point... When you're starting to do this on humans, this can backfire. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a real risk that they're running. And I think this was a touch irresponsible on their part. And that's coming from the medical professional in me. Which is why I feel like we need to give extra props to Madame Pomfrey and any nurse or doctor out there who deals with these types of things. Because Madame Pomfrey deserves... My God, that woman. She de- she's a saint. Madame Pomfrey deserves a lot more credit than she ever gets in the series. Yeah. Uh, but on a lighter note, <laughs> since obviously practice had to be ended prematurely because now one of her chasers and both of her beaters are gone. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. They already released the snitch. Does the snitch just float around until the next practice? <laughs> or does Harry have to stay behind after practice until he catches the snitch? That's a good question. I've never thought about that. And it's one thing if it's Harry Potter who's pretty good at this. What if it's some guy who's just eh 
when Oliver Wood first told him about Quidditch and he was practicing with him and he's like, we're not going to release the snitch yet because, like, it, it's so small and fast and it could get away from us. Yeah, I, would, I do wonder. Then. You'd have to think the Seeker has to stay until he catches a snitch. That or they have a different snitch for every practice. Random question. Is it just programmed to stay in the general vicinity of the stadium? I would guess Or does it so. end up in, like, London at some point? <laughs> like, just... I would guess it would stay... I mean, probably what the real answer is it, like, returns itself to the box. But, yeah, I feel like it has to stay within the confines is there a difference of the stadium. Training... But how high could it go? You is know? there a difference between training snitches and game snitches? <laughs> also, honestly... Is there, like, a cheaper version of the snitch versus, like... The expensive game version. I also get the impression that this box of Quidditch, like, balls mm. is the box of Quidditch balls that everybody uses. Probably. So I think the snitch, the quaffles, and the, the bludgers are just for total use, game and practice, but I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're getting into the, the dynamics of <laughs> school Quidditch, but anyway... After practice, Ron is on uh, in a very poor mood uh, mm-hmm. following his poor performance and the amount of homework that he's well, which, realized. Okay. I feel so bad for Hermione because she asked how practice was and he was like, absolutely dreadful. And she immediately tries to be consoling and she lets her anger go. And she's like, well, it was just your first practice. And I was like, who's to say that it was me making it a lousy practice? It's like, she... That was a natural reaction. You set her up for that. Also, it doesn't necessarily mean you, Ron. Yeah. She could have been saying you, the Gryffindor Quidditch team, because that was their collective first practice. Yeah, I mean, with Angelina being the first time as captain, and we know this is different from Wood's tactics, and with Ron being the new keeper, and everybody's coming back from summer without presumably practicing all that much. We know Harry certainly hasn't, like... It was a nice comment, and he got mad. He's in a foul mood. Ron in a foul mood is just not fun. I think all three in the trio have -hmm. their faults. Mm -hmm. I think the boys are obviously very Mm hot-tempered. and Harry is very stubborn. Yeah, and and Ron can get mean Mm -hmm. at times. Harry doesn't really get mean. He just vents aggressively. Mm -hmm. Ron can get mean. Yeah. And then Hermione is sometimes makes some questionable decisions, mm-hmm. and she herself holds some grudges from time to time. Mm-hmm. So none of the three are perfect. Which is good because we don't want perfect characters. We want well-rounded characters, realistic characters. But yeah, I I just would not want to be around Ron when he's in a mood. Well, this uh, this next bit is not going to put him in a better mood. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> so he notices that Hermes is by the window, I believe. Yeah, when they're up late doing homework and Hermione's just knitting, which I we'd have to ask Molly this. Does it count as knitting if you just bewitch the knitting needles to do it for you? Are you talking about our Molly or Molly Weasley? Our Molly. Molly, tell us what you think because I feel like like if Hermione were knitting with her own knitting needles and then enchanted other knitting needles to knit as well, then it's like, ooh, partner knitting almost. But if she's just being like sitting there talking to Ginny while these knitting needles are just creating these hats that she's oh so proud of, like, does that count? Like, I feel like anybody could knit I think 
If th- anybody could knit, if they could enchant sure. needles, well, needles to do it. That's what I think. Is I think you, it's still knitting, but you lose the sense of self satisfaction in you having actually personally put in the work. That makes me just think about like art in the wizarding world. How much is it is actually done by the wizard versus how much is it done magically? So Uh, like Dumbledore using his wand to paint a portrait is one portrait. Yeah. And like Justin Finch Fletchley (laughs) using his wand to create a portrait, even though they're both using the spell. Very, very different outcome. Very different outcome. You know what I'm saying? Is it that kind of? Tied? I just wonder how many of them actually like pick up a paintbrush or whatever artistic means that they're doing and just physically. Well, we do, do it. know Albus does love his knitting patterns. This is true. So, so we should get his opinion on does should. this count or not? <laughs> Moving on. Moving on to Percy's letter. <laughs> We're getting to Percy's letter. So there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to run through a couple of things and then we'll double back and kind of discuss a couple of them. So he was. Told by Fudge via Umbridge that Ron is now a prefect at Hogwarts, which he congratulates Ron upon. Mm-hmm. And then he also, while congratulating him, also kind of knocks him down a peg by saying, I was surprised to hear you were a prefect. Yeah, that you have stopped flouting authority. I have comments. But continue through okay. the letter. Uh, and then there's warnings to Ron. And there's a uh, series of them, not just one. There's Mm -hmm. several. And these warnings include you must unfriend Harry Potter. Albus might not be the headmaster at Hogwarts much longer. People who count, quote, people who count, end quote, have different and more accurate, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. views of Potter's behavior. So people who count have different and more accurate views of Potter's behavior. We'll we'll get to that one. He's saying that Harry is unbalanced, possibly violent. Uh, he calls Umbridge a delightful woman, which, which if you haven't had <laughs> come on. If you haven't had what some red flags in this letter already, once you get to that point, you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> this is like hitting you in the head with a red flag. Kinda, yeah. Uh, he tells Ron to switch loyalty from Albus to the ministry. And it, quote, pains Percy to criticize his parents, but the petty criminals they rub shoulders with are are too much and they need to stop. (laughs) So it's a letter. And I don't know how Ron didn't just like immediately chuck it in the fire because I think that's what I would have done. You know, I I don't know that I would have chucked it in the fire, at least immediately. (laughs) Eventually, yes. I would think... About do I send this to Molly and Arthur? Do I send this? Ooh. Do I send this to Bill or Charlie? Okay. Do I even dare show it to Fred and George? Probably well, not. I wouldn't show it to Fred and George. I wouldn't show it to Fred and George. He automatically like starts it off with this super dig at them of like, oh, I thought you were gonna follow in their path. I'm so glad you're actually following in my footsteps. It's like, okay, one, sir, you are not the only prefect in the family. So, like... He's not even the second one. Charlie and I know. were both prefects. So, like, get off your high horse there, sir. And doing the whole, like, you've stopped flouting authority, which made me angry because it's like, okay, the times that Ron has 
so-called flouted authority have all been times that were rewarded or celebrated or like literally he's helped save your sister from certain death by flouting the rules and going into the girl's bathroom and then going into the chamber of secrets like i i mean what flouting did he do in his first year other than just going after the stone and then like sneaking out that one time to be the second for harry and the the duel with malfoy i mean he didn't even have the detention for like getting the dragon up in the in the tower third year i don't know what flouting he does other than being just out of bounds in the shrieking shack but i don't know if percy even is aware about that so it's like flouting rules really ron doesn't really do it as much as you think there's there's a lot here <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack and the vibe i get from reading percy's letter as a whole mm. is how much he's so disconnected with reality mm -hmm. some of it's not his fault because it's not he's not there yeah and and let's be real he doesn't spend a whole lot of time in and around harry or ron or his family anymore or dumbledore so like he's out of the loop and part of that is his fault because he himself has taken himself out of the loop being so disconnected from everything and having that sense of reality kind of warp the logical person in me would be like well how do you know what what do you really know about harry potter mm -hmm. like every time he's been at the house you've really only had breakfast with him you've been shut <laughs> up in your room most of the time yeah so like what do you actually know of harry potter Aww. what do you really know of the events going on or are you just getting a one-sided view of everything and i get percy is very goal oriented and goal driven and he only sees one path as being the correct path mm -hmm. which is all ministry related so he's just going to spout whatever the ministry says because that's where he wants to be that's where he wants to be is the, well, the be all and end all i like that he sees ron's promotion to being prefects which ron had zero control over as proof that Ron is just as ambitious as him in terms of like befriending the right people and putting his loyalty in a place where in several years it will benefit you to, you know, like be with Professor Umbridge and be on her side. Like his ambition is overleaping himself here. I mean, the the line people who count have different and here's the, the part that gets me about it and more accurate views of Potter's behavior. How do you know that? You don't know that. See, what gets me is the line he said something about many of the people I've spoken to remain convinced of his guilt. Like, the trial really wasn't much about his guilt. It was, you know, did he do this magic or not? He flat out admitted, like, yes, I did this magic. But the reason why I did this magic was because the Dementors. So it was the question of more... Was this magic in self-defense or was this magic for the sake of like flouting it in front of the muggles and like revealing our existence to the world? Which is stupid because the muggle he flouted it in front of was his cousin that he lived in the same right. house with. He was there when Hagrid banged down the door. <laughs> but Percy dismisses it as a technicality. He got off on a technicality. Yeah. He said a lot of people are still convinced he's guilty. 
here's my thing. I mean, I have a lot. (laughs) I have a lot on this. But um, the, the bit about Umbridge being a delightful woman, when the shroud of whatever rose-colored glasses you're looking through, whatever mm-hmm. you're looking through, gets taken away. Mm-hmm. And you see what it really is. Mm-hmm. Do you accept the, that reality or not? Or do you just always believe in the line, no matter what's in front of your face? Mm-hmm. Because what do you think Percy would think if it was if Harry goes up to him and was like, I must not tell lies is etched in the back of my hand now because I'm being tortured uh, in every detention. I feel like he'd probably be like, well, you were telling lies, so therefore that was a deserved punishment. But that, I'm not disagreeing with that thought because he might. <laughs> That's a valid thing that he might say. But then you're getting into the core of it being, but isn't that still torture? I think people find it easier to excuse things that are bad like some torture some level of bigotry or like i don't know racism or whatever the case may be if it's just a little bit because they're like well you know that wasn't great but the means justify the ends so if you know harry if you're telling lies and these lies are going to bring down fudge and then therefore like hurt me and my position in the ministry well then yeah carve your words into the back of your hand a few more times like it's not great but eh, it's justified so the bit about it pains me to criticize our parents Mm -hmm. that hits me in a couple of different ways so He's always looked up to Bill and Charlie for being exemplary siblings and children ahead of him who have set a high bar that he has strived towards. Bill especially, I think. Oh, because he's head boy. That, and, you know, Bill's successful. Mm. He's got a good job. I imagine Percy sees himself as being even higher, though, because he went the ministry route. Sure, but here's my thing is why this confirms to me that he's reached out to Bill and Charlie. In what way? Sent a letter. No, I mean, like, why does it confirm it for you? Because if he's sending a letter to Ron over a prefect, that's great. And he's sending, like, oh, you got to get away from Harry Potter and you got to do this and you got to do that. I think for sure he's written Bill and Charlie and been like, do you believe Dad's you know, connection to Dumbledore. Do you believe this story that they're making up about whatever? Mm-hmm. See, I don't know if I agree with that. Because I feel like, I don't know if if Bill or Charlie have done anything to indicate any change in loyalty. But I feel like Percy has seen this prefect promotion as proof that, like, Ron is becoming more serious in his ways. And he's stopped being, you know led by that dangerous boy well i don't know that charlie was there i i can pretty much assume charlie was not present for the percy arthur argument Mm. bill may have been Mm -hmm. so maybe he assumes bill is not going to be on his side on percy's side charlie doesn't necessarily know until he like communicates with him and is like hey do you believe all of that i still think bill and charlie are are people that he'd want to reach out to is to try to get them on the side Unless he's 
been in a room with Bill already and Bill's been like, uh, no, <laughs> like, I don't know what you're doing. But then that's interesting because if he respects Bill, what does that do to Percy? Like, if he's like, I know Bill's a smart reason guy. Well, I think that just puts him further down the rabbit hole of being like, this shows how dangerous Dumbledore and his ideas are. If he can persuade someone as smart as him, then I guess I'm the smart one because I got away from that. Going back to something you said earlier, though, do you think that he should have, Ron should have told his parents about Percy's letter? Because I feel like that is a dangerous path to take. And I would be completely torn about whether or not I should do it. It's a tough one because obviously Percy's name is so taboo now mm -hmm. in the family that being said i think you might not have to say word for word or send the exact letter mm -hmm. to them but i think it is worthwhile having that open line of communication be like hey percy reached out to me and he's saying i should unfriend harry and you know, just things like that. You don't necessarily have to get into the, you know, it pains me to <laughs> criticize our parents. I would also relay the fact that some of these rumors about like, hey, he's saying Dumbledore is not going to be long for Hogwarts. Yeah. So like, dun, dun, dun. like there are some things here that he should probably relay to them and be like, hey, just a heads up. I like I feel like it might be nice for Molly to hear like, OK, Percy is still obviously Thinking about the family, not in the ways that we want him to, but he's still doing okay. But I feel like it would ignite so much more anger and passion in Arthur, and that would be dangerous. And I don't know, it, it's just, it's such a hard thing when it's like tattling to your parents about your siblings because there's that sibling code of like you're not supposed to tattle to this doesn't other. count as tattling right because this is like i mean this is so this much is more, real this is so much more adult than Th that this is not fred and george testing nosebleed nougat right which by the way can also be still serious <laughs> for the record but but it's it's more than that i mean this is a it has like real, real issue. yeah real implications and that's where it gets hard because the first time you're ever presented with a situation like that, you're like, I don't know what to do. What's the best way to handle it? Because yeah. there's so much emotional, like, so, so much emotion is tied to it. You know what they need? They need some advice from an older, wiser individual who's been through it. And guess what? Sirius pops in. <laughs> what a good segue. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sirius pops in the the common room uh, after everybody has gone to bed except for these three and drops some knowledge. Uh -huh. And I, I, one of the best quotes, um, I think, in the Harry Potter series, and that I think most people need to know, even in real life, mm -hmm. is the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. Yeah. There's a lot of gray areas. There's people. a lot of gray areas. And we've jokingly talked about it in the idea of Azkaban and what else? Like, there should be an alternative to Azkaban. But very seriously, yeah, not everybody's a Death Eater. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's a great 
angel of a human being. Mm -hmm. So there's some gray areas. Not everybody's good all the time. Look at our trio. Not everybody does the right thing all the time. Sometimes they do the wrong thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's... That's life. That's just how life is. But I, I love that quote from Sirius um, near the top of it. We learn a little bit more about Umbridge. We learn that she has been involved in anti-werewolf legislation, which does not uh, thrill Lupin, Lupin. Lupin. Not a big fan of, of not a big Not fan. on Team Umbridge. It's made him essentially unable to find a job. Yeah. Which knowing Lupin, of course, is going to make you even like hate Umbridge even further. The man deserves some work. She also has had her hand in trying to have mer people round up and tagged. Which how do you think you'd even go about doing that? You know, like they're they were a whole community that that'd be like I I could see that as going and trying to invade another country and being like, All right, I'm gonna tag you up. Like they they had a whole world down there. I'm sure you could. I'm sure it wouldn't be easy. <laughs> It would not be easy, and it's obviously wouldn't be well-received. <laughs> so, obviously, Sirius has some insights as to what they're hearing about Fudge, and the idea that Fudge is he's... fearing that Albus is training an army. Yeah, he's paranoid. So that's why Sad they... Sad and paranoid man. Which is why they don't want to teach actual practical magic yeah, in Defense Against the Dark Arts. trained in combat. <laughs> And, Which, and in it, theory, that's what it's always been. I know, but I love how Ron was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, including anything Luna Lovegood has ever said. Which he's only really known her I for know, like a month. That's what I even better. Not even a month, it's been like two weeks. <laughs> she made that big of an impression on him. I think it, this is me pulling myself out of the world of Harry Potter for just mm -hmm. a second. I think that is only there for jk rowling to be like hey remember luna Lovett? yeah of like oh i haven't mentioned her in a minute here's this name you should remember this name yeah probably <laughs> they also asked about hagrid you said hagrid's supposed to be back by now but he hasn't but don't worry even though of course it's immediately what the trio does uh yeah he doesn't really lay that out the best way mm -mm. um but he's like hey hagrid's a tough guy no one's worried about Hagrid. Right. He could take care of himself. And we know that he was with Madame Maxine as well. Right. Which is good to know that she went with wherever they went. I mean, two half giants. They're formidable. They would be formidable. <laughs> we do get this interaction between Harry and Sirius where Sirius wants to come see him at Hogsmeade. Mm-hmm. And Harry immediately shuts that down and was like, absolutely not. They almost caught you at, at King's Cross. They Did you see that article in The Prophet? And, you know, Sirius brushes it off. He's like, oh, they always say I'm somewhere. Right. It's fine. Right. And Harry's like, no, Malfoy was really, like, laying it on that he, he thinks it's more than just a guess. And Sirius ends up being a little disappointed that Harry isn't as risky as James. He literally says just the risk involved alone would have made James do this. Which, okay. I feel like as a comment, this is super immature to make. Because you're guilt tripping Harry about doing something that is dumb. He he Harry's right. Like, you should not be doing this risk. But at the same time... Like, I get his mindset. He said he's alone in the house. No one in the order is there. They've just been 
I mean, half the order is back at Hogwarts right now. The Weasleys have probably gone home because the kids have gone to school, so they feel safe again. But I'm like, why would Dumbledore not station someone there with Sirius, other than Creature, who could do, like, mental health checks, but also make sure that he doesn't try to do something stupid like this and get himself caught, because that would be really bad, too. I think... I think it's twofold. I think it's the other members of the order have a lot on their plates and they're spread thin. And most of them have actual jobs that they right. need to attend. Uh, you know, maybe you wonder why Remus isn't staying there. It would seem like a logical place. For it would him to seem be. like it. I know he's got his own uh, jobs that he needs to get done. That's fine. But the other side of this is, I think. Dumbledore is in full war mode. I think he's locked into playing the game. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing he's seeing. Like, he's got blinders on. Is like, how do I win this? Mm -hmm. And I think in that, he loses humanity. He loses touch of what Harry needs as a human being. (laughs) And he loses touch of what Sirius might need as a human being. So the emotional learning kind of like goes out the window. They're they're just pieces to him, ultimately, yeah. when they need to be people. And you need to actually treat them as people. And it's just unfortunate because it's like, you know, he's escaped Azkaban. He's gotten his freedom only to go right back into this isolation in a place that is depressing to him. And while it's not guarded by Dementors, he's got the portrait of his mother screaming at him. He's got a creature making sure. nasty comments to him. And it's like... It might even be from worse. From one prison to another. It might actually be worse because in Azkaban, you have no illusion of mm-hmm. freedom. And you had a purpose for trying to get out. Here, you know you can't In the house, leave. there's this illusion of freedom. Mm-hmm. You're free, but you're not. Yeah. And it's that's I think almost worse is that you can see the outside. Yeah. You know it's right there. Yeah, and and you if you go. want to, you can, but you can't. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it worse is that temptation's right there. In front well of that space. and knowing the the history of living there and what life was like back then and you're stuck there again. Mm-hmm. Not fun. Not fun. But you know what will be fun? Our spoiler section. <laughs> So should they come back? To you listen? definitely should. Uh, before we get to the spoiler section, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't say that we are recording this on September first, which is it's back to Hogwarts Day. It's back to Hogwarts Day, so it's a big day in the Harry Potter fandom. Yeah, so... by this point that we're recording, the first years have definitely been sorted and gone into their common rooms and found their ways to the castle. Which means school's going to be starting. I Which be excited. We have both started school. A long time yeah, ago, school's so that, been going for like two and a half weeks yeah, now. That's, Let's be that's, real. That's been a thing. So <laughs> anyway, uh, we will be right back with a spoiler section of chapter 14. All right. So we are back with the spoiler section of Percy and Padfoot. Chapter 14. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to just mention here. And I want to double back on something that I mentioned in uh, the non-spoiler, just very briefly, because I think we've talked about it before, but with Mrs. Norris, mm. um, and I know towards the end of the series, when everybody's trying to figure out what 
Secrets Book 7, Deathly Hallows might hold, a lot of people were going back to Mrs. Norris. And I think this interaction that we had in this chapter, where she looks at Harry, runs off to Filch, and then Filch is like, yeah, somebody told me you were doing this in the, at the Owlery. And Harry's like, who told you that? And I think people go back to this chapter in their whole... Uh, like combing through for secret Mrs. Mystery. Norris is an animagus. Mrs. Norris <laughs> is this or that or whatever. Um, and is going to play a big factor in Deathly Hallows. What irony that would be if Filch was the squib and Mrs. Norris was the like super, super magical one. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people had those theories yeah. and it just didn't pan out in book seven. And Mrs. Norris just kind of was like a meh. <laughs> no, I really think Umbridge just told Filch like, Hey, that Harry Potter, keep an eye on him because he's super, super shifty. And I heard he's going to order dung bombs. And then he was like, oh, Mrs. Norris, Harry Potter is going to do something bad. But, but think about Let's it. Let's find though. him. But think about it, though. There has to be some magical connection between the two. Because there's an understanding there that is not a normal understanding between well, I mean, owner and pet. Okay. I, I could see Mrs. Norris as having different types of meows of like, like Harry Potter's in the owl really doing something. <laughs> well, I don't think she got that specific. I think it's just like, like she made a meow that was like a student is doing something bad. And he was like, okay. So then he just chases after her and she brings him up to Harry and he's like, Haha, I deserve a treat. Cats have specific meows and the owners can learn them. I'm sure it's the same for dogs, even though I've never had a dog. Anyway, um, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to discuss mm. was when Harry and Cho are in the Owlery. Whether or not K-I-S-S-I-N-G. No, they're, they're <laughs> conversing politely uh -huh. uh, upon the morning's weather. No, they're... <laughs> the most romantic of topics. <laughs> they're, uh, Harry does have the sock go through his head. It's like, I wonder how it would have been different if I had asked Cho before Cedric. Right. How? He said she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm already with, I'm already going with somebody else. Right. How would it have been different? Oh, that's hard. Think about it, because everything changes. Everything changes. If he were with Cho. She's emotionally connected to Harry, not Cedric. So the events of their little Valentine's date doesn't go as poorly. Oh, I hate that Valentine's Day. I get it, but it the whole thing would have been Well, different. I would even back up. If he were with Cho, would Cedric have given him the hint about the egg? Yes, because Harry gave him the hint about the dragon. But what if he was like, I wanted to be with Cho? And he also had those thoughts that like Harry had of... Mm, uh screw no you. i you think you you struggle through it this is gonna get me so much hate because people already think i'm a cedric apologizer <laughs> but um no because i think cedric's level of fair play of maturity is well yeah, and maturity because he's just older is beyond that okay and, and he's but... just like no harry did me a solid i'm gonna pay him back the Cho and Harry relationship might not go as poorly or as far south as it does. It's not as awkward. You don't have Cedric hanging over it. Right. You don't have a lot of it hanging over it. Mm. So at the very least, if they don't end up together, they can still date for longer 
then maybe they go and it changes a lot of things. I know I people think... are yelling at me right now on the podcast listening to this being like, mm-hmm. no, Harry and Jenny forever. And I, like, I get that. I'm just <laughs> posing an alternate reality. Where... I could imagine that based on like Cho's reactions to the DA when her friend gets caught and how she's like, oh, she just took a risk or whatever. And like, I could see her as not being as supportive of Harry wanting to go off to like save Sirius or do something that is reckless. Whereas Ginny, I think because she knows Harry so well and understands him so well that she supports that. I could see Cho as being more scared and logical of, well, that's a stupid thing to do. You could get hurt. And do we Jenny's, know that? She's a Ravenclaw. Luna's a Ravenclaw. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like Cho, like, if she's dating someone, she's wanting them to be safe. And Harry's not safe. That was some of the choices he made. To makes. be fair, Ginny also wants him to be safe. Yeah. But she also wants to be there right there with him doing the unsafe things. I think she shows great levels of concern in Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows, where she's like, I don't know if you should be doing some of this. <laughs> like, some of this is too much. Yeah, but that was also, like, directly going after Voldemort. Well, also, her feelings become wrapped into it, too. True. Now you're not just his friend. Mm-hmm. Now you're his girlfriend, and you're like, oh, wait, I don't want him to be put in like harm's way all the time yeah (laughs) every single year yeah (laughs) so i mean it's not just cho i don't know i i mean it's an interesting question to pose because cho ignites a certain type of conversation well i think part of it is because cho is so emotional and Ginny. i mean harry mentions later in what was it book seven how he appreciates the fact that Ginny is not like a very teary-eyed cries a lot type of girl which i think is meh there are reasons for cho's emotional instability throughout this book right those who have an emotional range larger than a teaspoon can understand why she reacts the way she does i don't know it's just a thought of like harry harry poses the question himself what would have happened if yeah and now that we're in the spoiler section and we know what ultimately happens it's just an interesting question to kind of extrapolate out to the rest of the no, series. I agree. There definitely would be less awkwardness with them talking to each other, I would think. Although I do, I would like to see them go over, like, extend their conversation past Quidditch and the weather because. Well, I think Cho would also like their conversations <laughs> to go beyond that. I don't think Harry's capable at the moment of coming. Uh, and that's probably, honestly, why she liked Cedric. Cedric is had they... more to talk about. Probably, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose, okay, even if, like, they had dated, even if Cedric hadn't died, there would still be the factor of Voldemort's back. And I think that would distract him too much to really focus on her needs whether they be emotional or whatever. Well, to your point, Cho is not fully in that fight like Ginny is. Ginny's in that fight. Yeah. Not to say Cho wouldn't or couldn't, 
that's projecting on Cho. It's just, you know. I could see her as helping out, but wanting someone else to do the more dangerous stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, part of this, I think we're focusing on, like, what Harry would be in that situation. Well, what would Cho be in that situation? True. Cho's probably completely different. As much as that event changed Harry, that event changed Cho, too. Yeah. Yeah. We're just getting one side of one thing. Well, yeah. I mean, for Cho, she was super, super, super popular. Probably very well adjusted. Probably super social. I would imagine her social life has completely gone down the drain. She obviously believes Harry's story Mm -hmm. and Harry's retelling of the events. Mm -hmm. I... I think that says a lot about her. I don't know if she's doing that just because it's Harry Potter and she likes Harry Potter or she genuinely believes it. Well, that or she just needed the closure to know what happened with Cedric. I don't know. It's, it's, there's more there to dive into. And believe me, we'll have more Harry Cho talk <laughs> as this book continues. As but... long as I'm not there for their day. I was just wanting to talk a little bit about Ron's Quidditch plane. Like... Okay, again, this is sports stuff, so not my wheelhouse. But I know you and Jen in particular have talked before about, like, making changes to a team, whether it be the management or the players or whatever. Like, I feel like Ron, in any normal year, probably would not last on the team as long as he did. And maybe it's just Angelina being too new to the position of captain or what and i know they probably blame it more on the fact that like half the team gets kicked off the team by umbridge but i feel like his plane it should have improved way sooner than it did for him to be on the team as long as he was well she said right out the gate there were better flyers she just banked on the fact that his family heritage which, like, when do you think, like, once that's been proven wrong, you'd be like, okay, you could be okay. an alternative, but we're going to go after somebody else so, who could win us some games? So, time out. So here's, this is me coming to Ron's defense here. Okay. No one ever says he's bad. It's not that he's bad. He's inconsistent. He's inconsistent, and he particularly gets worse when the pressure gets higher. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's necessarily a bad Quidditch player, a bad keeper, a bad flyer. It's it's just some people do better in pressure situations than others. And I'm surprised they didn't try to do, like, as part of their training, dealing with crowds. Yeah, I don't know. It It's kind of going back to what I was talking about in the non-spoiler of, like, you know, if I'm out there with a buddy mm-hmm. playing golf, that's one thing. If I have other people watching me play golf, I suddenly get nervous because I'm like, well, I don't want to hit a bad shot in front of these people that I don't know. I want to look good. So how would you try to work through that? You, you try to block it out and you try to take a deep breath and hit the same shot you do if you're in front of a thousand people or if you're by yourself on a driving range. You try. Mm-hmm. You try to block that out. But there's reasons why I, some people are pro golfers playing in front of 300 people <laughs> on a tee box or me playing at the local public course that you know <laughs> shoots 100. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why some people are some people and other people aren't. Some can handle that pressure. Some can't. 
Uh, that doesn't mean he's bad at it, though. It just means, yes, there might be better options. You know but... what I wonder? If uh, we... And are there better options? Because I don't know that there are. Well, I'm just wondering, okay, what? <laughs> here's here's a what if for you. That whole um, spell that Harry discovers in the Half-Blood Prince's book, the... There's a few. <laughs> the Muffo... Muffliata? That one. Do you think he could cast no. that on the stadium no. and just like block that, out the well, Weasley's Our King song? I mean, you could, yes, you could block out the maybe the jeering <laughs> and the taunting. Mm -hmm. You can't block out the fact that you're playing in front of presumably well, hundreds of people. I feel like people. part of, I mean, I feel like it's a more audible thing than it is visual for him. If he, I mean, he's high up enough in the air. If he could just not hear the song, not hear their jeers. Focus on the ball. You got and nervous players. just playing in the just general practice with Gryffindor well, yeah, before the Slytherins were... even showed up. Yeah, but they, because they were no, they were there from the start. They were jeering him from. The he start. was nervous about the whole practice from the beginning. That's why they well, did the pre-practice yeah, session. It's their first practice, but like, I don't know. I feel like if there were never any Slytherins there jeering at him, and then there was never any Weasley is our king song. Fred and George just made him nervous. His brothers made him nervous. Yeah. But he's played with his brothers before. Yeah, but not for real. I, I, there, I know there's a real difference in messing around in your backyard. Mm. And now you're going to a competitive event that actually counts for something. It, it really does make a difference. It really I'm does. I'm just going to take your word for it because, again, I Believe am me, not athletic. I have spent my entire life around <laughs> athletics. There are levels to this. <laughs> But other than that, no, not too many spoilers of this this chapter. Cool. <laughs> With that, we'll just have more delightful Dolores in the future. We're just getting into the middle third of this book. I know, like we're so far in, and yet it's like it's such a first, long way. It's the first week of school. Such a long way to go. <laughs> so, thank you everybody for listening to the episode. Comment, like, retweet on Twitter, share the podcast, get us out there. Uh, it really helps our podcast grow and participate in those polls that we put on Spotify or that Elizabeth posts on Twitter. Uh, they're they're really cool to see what you guys kind of think of everything. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, there's a support the podcast link uh, wherever you're hearing this podcast. You know, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, and it's just an opportunity to leave a donation for us and support it, this podcast financially. It really does help because it's a lot of work doing these. <laughs> a lot of time. If you don't want to donate financially, please just share the podcast. That, that does a lot for us. So thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with Chapter 15. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.